Okay. Hello, I'm Susan Scher, 36 years old. Today is November 14th, 2015, and we are in York, Pennsylvania, and I'm the daughter to Phil. <laughs> Hello, my name's Phil Avillo. I am 73 years old. It's 11-14-2015 in York, PA, and I am Susan's father. Dad, um, I wanted to ask you first, um, in less than one month, on December 7th, it will be 50 years since you were severely injured in Vietnam. You were only 23 and almost lost your life more than once, and you returned home with an above-the-knee amputation of your left leg. How did that major trauma, do you think, shape the rest of your life? Well, let me make one slight correction, Susan. Mm -hmm. I wasn't injured. I was wounded. Big difference. <laughs> uh, your mother used to say before his accident, meaning like getting shot, <laughs> I said I would say to Linda, Linda, it wasn't an accident. <laughs> Somebody was trying to kill me. Mm -hmm. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, yes, it's been 50 years this coming December 7th. The remarkable thing, of course, is that it is on December 7th, this very famous day in American history, Pearl Harbor Day. And for years I've told people I'm a Pearl Harbor Day survivor. They say, you're not, you're old, but you're not that old. And I say, well, I didn't say I survived Pearl Harbor. I said I survived Pearl Harbor Day. It was a very clear distinction. Anyway, how did it transform my life, I guess, is what you're asking. Mm -hmm. Well, not, not surprising. It was very dramatic and uh, traumatic. Uh, prior to the injury, the wound, I was, uh, I'd been athletic. I'd been an athlete. I was in the Marine Corps. I was used to running. That was part of the whole point of my life, getting places on my feet physically and quickly. And suddenly that was over. Uh, but when they told me in a hospital that I might have to have an amputation, because it was a week after I got wounded that the leg was amputated, uh, I was relatively calm when they told me that. And uh, I remember saying to a nurse, uh, Nurse Sullivan, that you win a few, you lose a few. Uh, it seemed to me that uh, this was not going to make it. I didn't see it being a life-ending moment for me. That mm -hmm. my life would go on and I would be able to deal with this for some some reason or other. Uh, that it wasn't going to be uh, resigning me to a life of uh, of inactivity or anything like that. Uh, so the, uh, the the trauma of the uh, of the of the wound was certainly big. Uh, <clears throat> and then I got the uh, uh, the pseudomonas meningitis on top of that a week later. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. that's when oh. that's when I got a little concerned about my future. Uh, once I heard my temperature and I was unconscious for, I think, about two weeks uh, when the Marines brought my father to the Philippines, as you know, which mm -hmm. was a very amazing thing that they did. And when I woke up, he was there. So getting back to the, uh, the original question, if I can, uh, how did it shape my life? Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. uh, in some ways, I think it uh, infused me, in a, strangely, with uh, a confidence I didn't have before. I'm not suggesting I, I didn't have confidence before, but it was a different kind. It wasn't as uh, mature. It wasn't as uh, focused, maybe. Uh, it wasn't as urgent, and now things had a sense of urgency about them in a different way than they did before. And so I found myself, uh, once I 
was walking and got myself ambulatory uh and i i just left home as i think we you know you know about uh a, a little over a year later i got in my car and drove to california i wasn't able to walk mm-hmm. uh i had a leg that was very very poorly made and didn't work well for me and when i got to california <clears throat> Uh, there were two things I had to do. I wanted to get a uh, another leg, one that worked, prosthetic leg, and uh, get a job. <clears throat> and both of those things uh, took place almost simultaneously. Uh, the VA in L.A. was very obliging and uh, gave me the uh, the uh, state-of-the-art leg at that time, <clears throat> made sure I had one that fit me well and would make me mobile, and I got a job. Uh, and the job was the first area where I ever expressed this confidence. Uh, I called a man who, told, who somebody told me was hiring Phillips 66 employees. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, it doesn't sound like you have the kind of background we're, we're interested in here. And I said, well, I think you ought to at least interview me. And he said, okay. Mm-hmm. And I went in and I got the job. So wow. that was the beginning of me saying things like, I think you ought to interview me. <laughs> of course I can do that. And uh, uh, the... <clears throat> Uh, uh, the job itself was a lot of standing up. I had to work in a service station for four weeks, two separate two-week periods where I was on my feet for almost 10 hours, uh, pumping gas, cleaning uh, windshields, changing tires, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was getting confident, again, in my ambulatoriness. And, and then, as I think you know, I went on to uh, coach briefly at UCLA's with his brand-new lacrosse club the following year. Uh, when we moved to San Diego, uh, after your mother and I got married, uh, I went to apply for a math job uh, in the diocese in a Catholic high school. And the uh, hiring priest said, well, what they really need there is a basketball coach, girls basketball coach. Can you do that? And I said, of course I can do that. Of course, I've never done it. But, <laughs> uh, but that's the kind of stuff that would not have happened probably mm-hmm. before this amputation. Wow. <clears throat> Well, speaking of Linda, your wife, yes, <laughs> you, you, you mentioned you have been married now 47 years. 47 40? years, uh, in, yes. Uh, August 10th. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, in all this, uh, when, when did you first meet her and when did you know you would marry her? Well, I first met her, uh, your mother was a Navy nurse, as you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, last night we were out with some friends and one of them, uh, said, uh, happy Veterans Day to me. And I said, well, don't forget Linda. Linda says, yes, everybody always, always right. overlooks me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, she was a Navy nurse, and I was uh, uh, rehabbing at the uh, Philadelphia Naval Hospital where she was stationed. I happened to uh, – I had seen her around, I guess, in the hospital, but I don't recall if it was before or after this other incident. But I went to a party – uh, with a Navy, another Navy nurse, I was it was my date, and uh, we went to this party. Where the Navy nurses, some of them were having party. They were having a party, and and I spied your mother there, mm-hmm. and I was very drawn to her, uh, just visually. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And really, uh, never forgot that moment. I uh, didn't see her much in the hospital. It wasn't until that was in April 1966. I remember exactly mm-hmm. when that was, not the exact date, although I tell her I know when it was sometimes. <laughs> uh, and then uh, next time I really saw her was uh, at a uh, large uh, promotion party. All these Navy nurses who had just 
who had come into the Naval Hospital about the same time were giving themselves over at the Navy Yard. And mm. uh, so I was talking with her, and uh, I think Jean Cleaver was there, and we were talking with another Navy nurse. And uh, then your mother and I started dating, and I think I was pretty convinced right away that she was the woman for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I said to her before I went to California, uh, if I were going to get married now, you'd be the one. I'm sure she was just thrilled that I was so so uh, generous yeah. as to say I would marry her. Uh, but then I left, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, uh, But she eventually uh, came out to California uh, with another nurse who had gotten out of the Navy when she did. And I thought she'd come out to be near me, but I don't think that was actually the case because we had some we had some issues. Oh. Uh, then, uh, but soon after she got there, she came out in the fall of 67, and uh, we got married in uh, August of 68. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it wasn't a really, it wasn't a traditional wedding by any means in terms of what people do. They get a church, they get a hall, mm-hmm. they get a band and all that. They invite all these people. Your mother and I got married in California at her mother's request (laughs) and uh, a very small wedding. Uh, I met her parents two days before the wedding for the first time. Very non-traditional. Yeah, but uh, (laughs) neither neither your mother nor I thought too much about that. (laughs) That occurred to us that it was was different. Uh Uh, And uh, so uh, I guess it was a good choice for for me, absolutely. Uh And uh, I hope it was for her. Um, Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Dad, um, another thing that strikes me as uh, something I can't believe that you went through is that less than a year after you were wounded, um, uh, your mother died, and she was only 45? Well, she was 44. She was 44? going to be 45 in about uh, 10 days. And And I wonder... <clears throat> How that felt, I mean, obviously terribly sad, but I wondered about if you could talk a little bit about what you what that meant to you at the time. Well, you're right. It was very, uh, uh, very, very sad year, especially for my father, if you can yeah. imagine, uh, who had traveled to the Philippines and been with me, <clears throat> not knowing what that result would be, knowing, I think, at that time that my mother had cancer. Uh, something that I probably should have known about, but I was so preoccupied with my myself that I never noticed the depth of her illness. Uh, uh, my sister, who's four years younger, uh, it was getting married in November of 1966 to race to the altar to beat my mother's uh, anticipated demise. Mm. And... Uh, <clears throat> That didn't work. My mother died a month before my sister was married. Mm-hmm. So we had all of these things that were just, uh, you know, just what, what's happening here and, and how did this happen and uh, and how are we going to get through it? My father, of course, was uh, still a young man. I don't know if he was even 50 yet. And uh, he had been through all this pain and suffering with me. And now my mother was not easy either during mm-hmm. the whole time of the illness. I was not there for most of that because I was at the hospital in Philadelphia didn't get out of the Marines until uh, August 31st. So I was really only home about five weeks mm-hmm. uh, when she died. <clears throat> and uh, it was just devastating to me, uh, perhaps because I wasn't even aware that it was that bad. Mm-hmm. I should have been. But mm-hmm. 
I knew they were out for souls when we were visiting her in the hospital, but she died at home. Oh. She came home, mm-hmm. and I had actually been on a uh, – I was going to the pharmacy to get a some medication for her, a pharmacy I used to work at when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, the pharmacist, who I'd known you know, since I was a teenager, uh, said to me when I got there, oh, your mother doesn't need that anymore. We just got a call from your house. She, you know, No need to pick it up. Oh, my. Uh, and he said that they <clears throat> wasn't, uh, she has plenty of uh, medicine or whatever. Whatever it was, I had no idea what he was talking about. Uh-huh. So I went home. Uh-huh. And my mother was, was dead. Wow. Uh, so it just, uh, uh, you know, I can almost visualize that now, her, her lying in the bed. And my grandmother was there. It's even harder for, I think, a mother to mm-hmm. see her daughter die. <clears throat> uh can you tell after, me? Mm-hmm. After a few uh, – f- I tried to figure out a way uh, to uh, make it, make things work for me in, in New York, uh, but I wasn't having any success, and I was feeling overwhelmingly uh, claustrophobic in some way, psychologically uh, pressed mm-hmm. uh, with all this going on. I still couldn't walk. Uh, I had no job. Trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I just made a decision <clears throat> to take a trip to California. It wasn't like I was never going to come home. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying so long to my father in January uh, that uh, I was leaving. I went to see him as, where he worked before I pulled out. And he said, uh, you're not going to be coming back, are you? He said, oh, yeah, I'll be back. Uh, but he knew. He knew I probably wouldn't be. And uh, so I just continued. It took a while to get there. I went by way of Florida, mm-hmm. Kansas City, uh, and uh, wound up in California, and I guess I just turned my back on all that pain and suffering mm-hmm. uh, and uh, said, this is where I want to be. This is so much different than New York, Southern California, living on the beach. Even if I didn't have a job, that was a pretty good place not to have a job, be- being yeah. home in New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> it forced me to have that independence that I would never have had, I don't think. You asked me mm-hmm. uh, some other time about uh, – uh, how did the, uh, the the amputation affect my life? I think, well, it forced me to be independent, but it was an independence I couldn't achieve surrounded by family oh, yeah. and at home where I had no mechanism or no need to go out and, and rent my own house, my own apartment, cook my own food, do my own shopping, wash my own clothes, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Because you had a lot of <clears throat> aunts and uncles around. Well, not a lot, but I had enough. Mm-hmm. That I was living in my father's Grandma. house. And my mm-hmm. sister was there, even though she was she got married. Mm-hmm. It would have been difficult for me uh, to find the kind of a job that I did uh, to get the kind of a leg that I needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> all those things were, I don't think, would have worked in New York. It might have, but I can't visualize that. Mm-hmm. Did I answer your question? Mm-hmm. Uh, how, my father, yeah. I think... Uh, very hard for him, but he would come and visit like every three months. He would come out for a few days or a week. Oh, I didn't in know California, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he loved coming out there. Grandpa, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, can you tell just a little bit of your of how you remember <coughs> your mom when as as a child? Um, I I wish, that, of course, I I could have met her. Yes, your mother never met her either. Mom you never know, met so her. it's kind of interesting uh, to to see those those things happen, mm-hmm. how they happened. Uh, well, one of the things I remember when I was <clears throat> still at Clark in the Air Force Hospital in the Philippines, one of the physical therapists who was taking care of me, and they were just wonderful there. Uh, and I was getting ready to leave. It's after the mono, the, uh, the uh, 
uh, what are the, the meningitis issue and the mm-hmm. amputation and everything. Uh, he said, now, when you go home, uh, your mother's going to see you, and she's going to cry. Let her cry. You know. uh, I don't know if she did, but I'm pretty sure she did when, mm-hmm. when I got home. Uh, what, what is the question we're working on now? Just a little bit about your mom. Okay. Uh, <coughs> Grandma Rose. <laughs> well, my mother was uh, uh, a doting parent with me, you know. My sister says she, she, my mother didn't even know she was there pretty much. <laughs> she doesn't say that quite bad. But, uh, mm-hmm. I was always the, uh, I was the older son, and uh, she was kind of in the shadows four years younger. Uh, but uh, one of the things that uh, was two things that are striking about my mother that I think or test, testify to the way she treated me my whole life. When I was in Vietnam, uh, she sent me a care package, a couple of care packages. Uh, I told her we had electricity where I was, and that uh, so she sent me an electric popcorn popper, which she knew <laughs> I loved popcorn and popcorn wow. and, and oil. So I had this little, you know, like electric popcorn <laughs> popper there. And then one day I got a package from her, which was uh, had a loaf of bread in it wrapped in saran wrap, French bread. That's what we called it. I don't know if they still call these things French bread mm. or not. And I said, what on earth is she sending me French bread for? Uh, it takes a month for these packages to get here. It's going to be stale. And I started unwrapping it, and it was unusually heavy, and there were crumbs in it. And I was thinking, what's all this about? And I got it unwrapped, and I noticed it had been cut in half, and I took the top of it off, and inside was a fifth of Johnny Walker Black, my favorite scotch. Wow. <laughs> what, a, what a mom. Yeah. Oh, my word. Uh, and uh, when I got home, she said to me, she was very frightened because she, she knew it was against the law to ship alcohol through the mail. <laughs> she was afraid it would break and she'd get arrested or something. I don't know. But uh, it, it, it didn't break, and it was well-preserved. Uh, alas, I never did get a drink from it. Uh, I got shot a few days before afterwards, and uh, oh uh, I think my friends did a good job, of it, I'm sure. <laughs> the other thing is when I got to the Naval Hospital at St. Albans in New York, that's where they sent me originally, uh, she came in that evening. Of course, we had our tearful reunion. Mm-hmm. I don't think I cried. You know, it was, I was home. It was, I was happy. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even have tears of joy. Uh, I was just glad to be there. Yeah. And uh, she, uh, the next day she came in. I was only there in the hospital for one day, really. She came in with a, uh, a huge platter of uh, homemade lasagna that she began to distribute to the whole ward, oh. and, uh, all the Marines that were uh, even hospitalized patients there. So that was uh, that was very typical of uh, my mother. Uh, she always had an extra. I could bring somebody home completely unannounced, and there'd be food. You know, mm-hmm. oh yeah, have a sit down, have you know, stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a friend that I haven't seen in a few years now. Maybe tw- 2009 might have been the last time I saw him, and he says he always remembers coming to my house because we used to room together oh. for a while, coming on Thursday nights for spaghetti and meatballs. You know, it was like Thursday night. That was a dinner in the. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother wasn't Italian, was not Italian. But she was she, Greek. She, Greek and English, but she <laughs> did uh, follow my father's family's tradition. It was mm-hmm. pasta on Thursdays, and uh, that was the, kind of the family meal. So that's the kind of thing she she did. She was always uh, uh, there to uh, to take care of me in that way or anybody in the family. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was, uh, it was a great family to grow up in, uh, my father's side, my mother's side, and... Uh, uh, my grandmother, my mother's mother, used to take me to uh, Radio City Music Hall when I was a kid. I mean, take me to wow. cin- cin- uh, Cinerama came out. It was some kind of new uh, beat before Cinemascope, I think. I think it was Cinerama. 
they took me to Palisades Amusement Park, the turn place that a lot of people remember from the song, uh, where I learned to swim. It was just an amazing family to grow up in. Mm-hmm. And my mother was, uh, you know, the, the icing on the cake for me in all those regards. Mm-hmm. Well, you never complained, <clears throat> at least I've never heard you complain about being an amputee. Um, but every now and then you would tell me that the one thing you always wished you could do and felt badly about was not being able to run with your three kids. We were always active and in sports. Um, but the thing is, Dad, is that figuratively you have always run beside us in every aspect of our lives. Don't uh, make me cry. <laughs> you you help us, helped us reason through problems and gave us lots of tools to succeed. <clears throat> And you've been our biggest cheerleader and given us so much love and support. And I wondered what have what have you felt as a father? What have been some of your biggest joys as a father? Well, you're right. I've told all of you that uh, not being able to run with you uh, was, uh, what's the phrase you use there in, in your? Uh, that would be the one thing that you probably felt badly about. I didn't feel. I, I told you I felt badly, but really, what I was annoyed, annoyed <laughs> as can be. I mean, that, when your two-year-old can outrun you, I mean, that's not much fun, especially when you were a runner yourself of some sorts. But yes, it was. Uh, it was a kind of thing that I never anticipated. If I ever thought about being a father before I was wounded, uh, I never anticipated uh, not being able to run with children if I had them. Uh, or having that be able to run away from me so quickly. Uh, the one thing that I was uh, happy about that is I could still outcrawl most of you when you were six months old, and that would uh, keep you from getting too far away from me. Uh, so w- the other part of your question was uh, what what highlights are there from your childhood? Or? No, is is <coughs> you know your being a father was has been such a big part of your life mm-hmm. with three children. Yes, and we're all grown and. Do you have any specific feelings of, you know, what was maybe the most um, gratifying about being a dad? Um, well, just being one is very gratifying, uh, as you've discovered, as being a mother, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what your child was doing. You have the child, and uh, that's the way it is. Uh, I mean, the most gratifying thing for me is uh, I think uh, – I think I'm most grateful for the fact that I had a profession that enabled me to be there all the time. I mean, it's extraordinary how much uh, uh, how much time we actually had together uh, because uh, I could make my own hours. You know, I could be with you in the afternoon. I didn't have to worry about being on the job, uh, and I could do my preparation and grading at night. Mm -hmm. Uh, The summers gave me more time, and uh, I had holidays with you. Yeah, I didn't miss a thing of that's your childhood right. as opposed to – I think that's the thing I'm most grateful for. I never missed a thing <laughs> uh, from, for any of you that I can remember. Yep, that's uh, true. And mm-hmm. that is an extraordinary gift for a father mm-hmm. <clears throat> or a parent, I should say. Yeah. Well, we, we, all, we definitely noted that. We know that you were always there and <laughs> – you would you don't remember this but you would <clears throat> always make me a special breakfast 
on days that I had a big event, like a swim meet or cross country. <laughs> Did I, I, you no, made I me a fried egg. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fri- uh-huh. Your special fried egg. A fried egg sandwich? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're great. Yeah. yeah. Do you know how to make them? Uh, you not can make as one as, for me sometimes. Not as good All as right. yours. Well, let me move <clears throat> on here and... Well, let me point out this other oh. thing, though, with, mm-hmm. the, with, the ch- with the, uh, being the father of you three children, is uh, all the coaching I did with you. Did a lot. Uh, uh-huh. But it, it gave me the confidence. Once again, we're talking about confidence here. Mm-hmm. Not only did I could coach sports I never played, uh, like baseball, basketball, <laughs> and soccer, uh, but when, when you folks were no longer around, I had no child to coach. Uh, that's when I turned to the lacrosse team at your college. And... Uh, Based on the fact that I had done that little bit of lacrosse with, uh, at UCLA, I had done the University of Arizona team for three years, a uh, club team that it was, uh, you know, I was positioned both in terms of my maturity and experience of coaching, just how to organize practices, administrate uh, the team, and administer the team in all the ways and ramifications that uh, I jumped into that, and that kind of, uh, that became a great uh, uh, a venture in my life as well with that lacrosse club and then going varsity, oh, yeah. uh, NCAA Division Three varsity at York College. So thank you for giving me the opportunity <laughs> to coach you in sports that uh, uh, I never played. Well, pickup maybe. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, and and you were a you were a lacrosse player in high school and college. Yes, I was. And uh, of course, York County never had lacrosse for <clears throat> any of the schools or. No. And especially not at York College. And now it's everywhere. It is everywhere in the county. And a right. lot of that um, is, was your bringing Well, people attribute that to me. It's really not accurate to say that. <laughs> the, uh, I started the college team. I had very little to do with it. But it did point out that there is a sport like this in the county. And the year after, the first county league for high school kids began. And then it just mushroomed to where uh, <clears throat> some uh, very – uh, enthusiastic lacrosse uh, parents got involved, and mm-hmm. it's, it's spread countywide now. Yeah, mm-hmm. so every, I think every high school has it, both boys and girls. Oh wow! Well, I know that um, <clears throat> we 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 your family enjoyed seeing you being able to do that and the joy it brought you. Mm-hmm. Now I know sometimes mom probably could have heard enough about it. <laughs> well, she heard enough about it one time when I called her late from a practice that I had just locked my keys in the trunk. <laughs> Would she come and get me? Yeah. I, I don't know if she came that day or not. <laughs> you know, she came soon afterwards, but it wasn't, uh, you know, long days and uh, across town. And, and it was, uh, but, mm-hmm. yeah, but no, she was very, very supportive of my lacrosse. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm very, very supportive of it. She was. Mm-hmm. Well, last year at this time you were dealing with um, kind of non-specific feelings of losing your strength. Mm-hmm. Um, couldn't put, no one could seem to put their finger on it. And after a myriad of tests and doctor visits, um, you were diagnosed with ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease in March of 2015. Mm-hmm. And this is an incurable disease. Um, and I just wonder how have the last past eight months been for you 
Well, the, uh, it's more than incurable, I've discovered. There's no known cause. It's incurable, and there's no treatment. So right. there's nothing that can, anybody can do for you. you know, I'm not saying I, I wish I had cancer or something like that, but they do have treatments for those. You, know, you can treat it, and you can actually cure it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can, as you watch the TV ads, you can fight it. There's no way to fight this disease. <clears throat> uh, one of the things that uh, was the most, uh, 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 I, I don't know, I want to use these dramatic terms, but one of the uh, uh, most shocking things I discovered about it is that everything I was doing to try and overcome my weakness was a counterproductive. That with ALS, mm-hmm. if you say, okay, I'm feeling weak, maybe I ought to lift more weights or swim harder or or do whatever you're doing, uh, that just tears muscle down, which it's supposed to do in order to build it up. But when you tear down muscle with ALS, it never comes back. Mm-hmm. So when I was doing all of this, uh, you know, I went on this uh, weightlifting program. Right. I was doing uh, aerobics classes. Mm-hmm. I was trying to increase my swimming out efforts. Uh, I was really hurting myself. Uh, so that was uh, that was the the shocking thing to me. And 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 and. In, even today, it's the one thing that, uh, with an illness, there was always some way of overcoming it or an injury. You know, mm-hmm. and there's no way to do that with this, and it's taken me completely out of what I've done for all my life, which is exercise. Right. So, uh, it. Uh, <clears throat> but when you have it, like I have, you have this disease, as so many of us do. It, uh, you. Your reconciliation with reality, I think, is easier. You know, like I used to play golf all the time. And this summer, I thought I'd be playing all the way through now. And in the middle of the summer, uh, after making adjustments on the golf course, where I only played like half the course. Right. And selected holes I would play. I couldn't even do that. <clears throat> and something I just have learned to love over the last 20 years, we've been playing 25 years, your mother and me. Mm-hmm. I just walked away from it. Well, not mm-hmm. literally, because I can't walk that well. But <laughs> I, I just, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't missed it. So, wow. Uh, now, you want to know what the last eight months have been like? Is mm-hmm. that what you're asking me? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, chaotic, you know, because we bought a house, sold a house, moved out of your all these things mm-hmm. and within two months. I think we did all that. Right. Uh, <clears throat> uh, the thing that has been most uh, uh, compelling to me about the disease is how quickly my weakness has increased. And uh, the thing that you didn't ask me this, but I'll, I'll, I'll volunteer it, that mm-hmm. uh, I concerns me the most about it is losing the use of my arms, which is happening uh, you know, almost on a daily basis. So, uh, so we're coping with it. I have a great wife. Yeah. I have wonderful kids. I have friends all over this community who have been very helpful. Uh, who drive me to Baltimore, drive me to Lebanon, drive me to Hershey, mm-hmm. uh, uh, take me to lunch, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. You know? The VA has been wonderful. Uh, Hershey uh, ALS Clinic has been terrific. Uh, so, you know, I had uh, the two high school friends down here Wednesday, a Marine Corps buddy here on Tuesday. <laughs> Uh, no wonder I'm tired. I know, right? <laughs> Out last night with friends. <laughs> you're, you're, you're very hard to uh, fit in a social. I know it's just terrible. I mean, I've. Uh, 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 well, some, some. You know, we're, we're a month out now. It's ridiculous that I to get a lunch with somebody during the middle of the week. I have to say, well, how about next month? You know. <laughs> uh, so, and some some might say, how you know, gosh, this has been such a Phil's had such a poor hand dealt to him and. I don't 
I've never really seen you as thinking that, but I wondered, how do you think you stay so positive with this? Well, look around you. Look mm-hmm. who's here. Yeah. Look out there. Uh, it's not like I'm 25. You know, I, I think this disease, as insidious as it is, uh, is cruelest, and I think all diseases are cruelest, when they hit younger people. Mm-hmm. You know, if I were 40 and you kids were young and this was happening to me, I would be, I'd be beside myself. Uh, but the three of you, the three children, are all uh, happily married, doing what they want to do for the most part, great professions, living where they want to live. Uh, the uh, the person who's struggling more with this than anybody is your mother because it's just a real physical and mental burden for her. Uh, but she's the toughest person in the pot. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> if uh, she'll get through this, and, and, and that's... Uh, <clears throat> what am I trying to say here? I'm not even sure. Just what I'm the answering. one thing is, I just noticed that you and Mom, you're you, as hard as it is, you still, you're having a lot of fun. Still. Oh yeah, I can't wait to get the van so I can pop my wheelchair <laughs> in it. We can go, you know, go to the mall. You know? Right. <laughs> and I can go to the uh, go to uh, go out for dinner and go to a bar and raise this wheelchair to bar level where I'm at. I can uh-huh. see right in the eyes of the people standing next to me in the bar, which mm-hmm. is always going to be fun. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So right now I am kind of restricted to the house. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, but the when we get the van, which we should have in a month, also being uh, uh, facilitated by VA by mm. the Veterans Administration. By the way, I should mention for those who may not be aware of it, veterans get ALS uh, one and a half to two times more frequently than the general population. That's why it's uh, more like two times as much. Mm -hmm. So that's why the Veterans Administration has declared it a presumptive service-connected illness. Wow. And uh, they take very good care of us. Uh, uh, I -hmm. think they do. They're certainly taking good care of me. Yeah. And uh, it it flies in the face of all the criticism they're getting, which I think a lot of is unwarranted. Mm -hmm. Well, you have four grandchildren. Mm Mm-hmm. And a fifth on the way. Mm-hmm. How do you imagine they they will describe you to their kids and grandkids? Well, that's one I don't know if I can answer. Mm-hmm. I think you'll probably start by saying, Dad never missed anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And uh, weathered every storm, I hope. Mm-hmm. And gave us a lot of good books. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the grandkids. That's uh, what I mean. Oh, yeah. Oh, the yeah. grandkids. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, and now I'm reading their books because uh, much more interesting to me than, than, than uh, uh, some of the other stuff out there. So uh, any books, uh, the boys or Evie or when Josh gets to that age where he can yeah. do it, uh, recommend to me, I will definitely read. And whoever this next one is, uh, you know, assuming I have still some uh, life left in me, maybe we'll have the same thing, you know. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, so, well, we we've, we've always... I think that for all of us, our love of reading and books, we can trace right mm-hmm. to you and mom, but mm-hmm. definitely you and and um, just love you very much. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> oh, Dad, um, you have always told us so many funny stories. Um, well, some some almost sad, but. You have to laugh mm-hmm. or, or you'll cry. And could you could you just tell me again the story of 
husband. Well, we, we're not mentioning names here. Oh, I didn't know that was his real name. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wanted to talk really, I think, I think if this, with uh, the respect to this young man, it's it maybe paint a picture of uh, what it was like to be in the Marines in 1965, 1966, at the beginning of the Vietnam War. As you know, I got there uh, with the, maybe the second wave of uh, Marines in uh uh, set foot on ground in July, July 1st, 1965, then wounded you know, within six months. Uh, meanwhile, my, my roommate had been killed in the first battle we were in, which uh, was uh, has been with me, as you know, from that recent piece I wrote uh, since the uh, uh, my entire life since that time. Uh, but uh, when I was in the hospital, uh, I met a lot of other wounded veterans, Marines, and one of them I met was a it was a young man who had uh, was brought into the ther- PT room one day and uh, he was on a gurney. He was pretty fresh into the hospital from the uh, from Vietnam. I don't know how long he had been en route or if he'd been in the Philippines. They're getting him out of country very quickly. I mean, I was out of country the same day, uh, but they would get him on the hospital ships then, and then they would bring him to the United States almost immediately. Well, this young man was mm-hmm. missing two legs, one below the knee, one above the knee. He had uh, shrapnel uh, throughout his uh, his stumps and his arms and uh, several digits missing from his right hand. And he was young, uh, about 20 years old, a young 20, and he's lying on his gurney in the, in the Naval Hospital therapy room. And I asked him what uh, uh, who he was, and he said, he told me he was PFC, uh, blank. <laughs> I don't want to mention his name here. He doesn't know I'm doing this. Uh, and... Uh, uh, and I said, uh, I said, well, I'm Lieutenant Avillo. And uh, I said, what happened to you? And he said, he told me he stepped on a mine, uh, and he had been, and that explained his legs mm-hmm. and his arms. Uh, his left arm is a little protected because it was higher. He's just walking with a rifle like that, his hands up around his chest. And uh, so instead of, uh, and he was very, very forlorn and just depressed. You could just see it. And instead of, you know, doing something compassionate, I said, well, uh, that's too bad, and I uh, walked away. You know, it was tough love. No, nobody gave you any. No one was going to say, oh, you poor thing, uh-huh. you know. So I didn't do that. But then I wanted to take him out for a beer, and then in, in Pennsylvania you had to be 21 to drink. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, here's a guy who's out there, kill or be killed. Mm-hmm. He's desperately wounded. I, I could take him in my car. We could go out to have a beer, and I can't do it in Pennsylvania. So I took him to New York one time with me in my home, and we went to a uh, local tavern. In fact, one of the high school friends who was here the other day was was with me that oh. night. The other one lives <clears throat> in California now. So the three of us took Jim. I call him Jim. Mm-hmm. Uh, to uh, that's that was his first name. Took Jim to a local tavern and we're drinking beer. And uh, Jim said he had to go to the bathroom. So the fellow was here the other night. Pete said, uh, "Oh, I'll take you." And he took him over, and a short time later he comes back. He said, "I." This was before the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act. He couldn't get the wheelchair mm. through the door. And I was still walking on crutches, so I was of no use here. Uh, the other fellow, Charlie, said, well, I'll give you a hand. And they, he left, and I'm sitting there, and suddenly there's this uproarious laughter coming out of the uh, the bathroom. And uh, they came back. I said, what was all that about? And Pete said, well, I told Jim to put his left arm over my right sh- shoulder. 
And Charlie said, put your right arm over my left shoulder. <laughs> and they sidled into the bathroom and got over the urinal, and Jim couldn't get his equipment out. <laughs> <laughs> no one will tell me how that ever worked out. Oh, my word. <laughs> uh, but, uh. Uh, but husband, Jim, was laughing mm -hmm. crazily over this himself. And I thought of him almost every day. Oh, After wow. that, you know, we had, I had him at my apartment and I, I was living outside the hospital for a while. We had steak dinners and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. and so I've been thinking about him for years and years. And finally, uh, I located him through a, uh, a lacrosse player of mine who had gone into the Marines and he, uh, he found out where he was. And I mm -hmm. called this number and a woman answered. I said, may I speak with Jim? And she said, yes, just a minute. And Jim <laughs> gets on the phone. I said, Jim, uh, PFC, uh, he said, who's this? I said, Jim, uh, PFC, uh, Philadelphia Naval Hospital, circa April 1966. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, he said, yeah, who's this? I said, Phil Avillo. And remember, I've been thinking of him every day for 40 years. Or something. <laughs> he says, who? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't remember man. me, I said. Uh, I said, I took you to New York. You're on my part. He said, of course I remember you. Of course I remember you. I never knew your name. Wow. And if you think about it, he identified himself as PFC with his last name and first name. I just mm -hmm. said, I'm Lieutenant Avillo. Mm -hmm. You know, the state he was in, he'd not remember that last name. He just knew I was a lieutenant. And he always called me Lieutenant, Lieutenant, Lieutenant. Wow. And uh, I said, what's been happening to you? He said, well, a lot. He, uh, he got out of the Marines. He went to uh, uh, back home to Tennessee. He drifted around for about a year, which was very similar to me. And then he went to... University of Tennessee for a year. He got married, had to get out of town. He and his mm -hmm. wife moved to Colorado, where at the University of Denver he got a baccalaureate degree in, in elementary ed. Uh, then the marriage kind of dissolved. Uh, he went to graduate school for two years, got a special ed degree, uh, and now he's living in Minnesota and uh, teaching. Mm -hmm. I said, well, do you use crutches to get around? I said, are you in a wheelchair? He said, no, I, use, I, I walk. I said, do you use crutches? He said, no. Uh, I said, in the, in the classroom, in the building, you know, level, and I can make it okay. If I'm on uneven terrain out in the grass or something, I'll use mm -hmm. a cane. Mm -hmm. So uh, he wears prosthetics. Yeah, yeah, yeah two, pro, mm -hmm. two uh, prostheses. Prostheses. And, mm -hmm. and then I said to him, well, do you drive? He said, sure, I drive. I said, do you have hand controls? He said, no. I said, you don't. <laughs> I said, how, how do you drive without hand controls? He said, I use my feet. I said, Jim, you don't have any feet. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so here he is. He's getting ready to retire from teaching. Here's a guy worried about how is he going to do it. You know, mm -hmm. I, had, I had a college degree. I had one single bullet hit me mm -hmm. and nothing else. Mm -hmm. uh, no trauma. No long rehab in terms of. Uh, and this guy just somehow on his own. Incredibly. Yeah. Resurrects his life. <laughs> Teaching his two kids, he's getting ready to retire, had a great career. Mm -hmm. uh, he was so typical. Mm -hmm. of, uh, this is getting me sad. Yeah. All the Marines I served with. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> what, a, what a brave man. Yeah, and uh, I was going to call him the other day, and I never got around to have all these visitors. Marine Corps birthday and then mm -hmm. no Veterans Day, but maybe I'll give him a call after this conversation. Mm -hmm. We talk every now and then, not often, but every now and then. It's usually uh, leaving messages and playing phone tag. But uh, Yeah, I'm glad you called him. Mm -hmm. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And uh, all of these guys, so many of them who have been wounded, amazing, you know, terrible wounds, have uh, re- re- rebuilt their lives uh, around the trauma and the disrespect, uh, not disrespect, I would say indifference, which is worse than disrespect, mm-hmm. that uh, Vietnam veterans had historically. A little bit better now, but <clears throat> we were really on our own when we got back. There was nobody there. Uh, uh the, the uh, uh, Jim Simmons, I'll mention his name, he's mm-hmm. a very, very good friend. We met in a hospital in Philadelphia and was with us, visited with us in, uh, here in New York about five years ago on Labor Day weekend. Uh, died several months after that uh, from cancer. But uh, uh, what was the point I was trying to make about this particular thing? Not uh, getting... Oh, well, mm-hmm. not having anyone there. Jim mm-hmm. was in intensive care for weeks and his wife was telling us, even when she was here the last time, that they were married then. Uh, there was no place for her to sit. She had to sit on a chair in the hall. Oh, my gosh. And there was no facilities for them. You know, the, the uh, dependence of uh, wounded Iraq of Afghanistan veterans, and I don't begrudge them this. They certainly should have that. They have facilities where the families can stay. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the the, uh, the veteran can actually be in the rooms with them, you know, for care. Right. And so here's Jan sitting there in the hall uh, waiting, you know, so she can go in every hour or whatever it was when he was in ICU uh, on, on death's door himself, mm-hmm. very, very severely wounded. Uh, and, well, not severely wounded, but the infections that came after that are what really were the problem. Right. And that's, fortunately, that's no longer there. Uh-huh. Uh, but Jim resurrected his life, law school, became a very uh, successful lawyer, moved to, went to Syracuse Law School, moved to Arizona. I mean, it's just amazing mm-hmm. what these people have done. And I was surrounded by people yeah. uh, like that my whole life and continue to be this day. And uh, that's the kind of thing that keeps you going. You don't even think about the other parts. You yes. just think about the good parts. Susan, thank you for this opportunity. Lauren, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Love you so much.